Hi, everybody. This is Farhan Lalji from TSN. Please listen to my friends at Pro Sports Podcasters. They do a great job. They're a lot of fun to be around. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is Colbert Ron. I'll be your host today. And today we're going to be looking at a very unique sport. It's a sport that kind of has a birthplace where I'm from, which is Ontario, Canada, and involves some pretty intense racing at a extreme level. And we've got lucky enough to have somebody with us who's competed at this for quite a number of years, as well as some traditional road cycling. But I'm talking about cyclocross. And today we've got Isaac Niles. Isaac, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on here. I'm doing well. All right. So I, w- I want to get right into this because I don't know that much about cyclocross. I mean, there's little bits and pieces I've caught on TV on occasion by accident. And other than looking it up now, I I don't know that much about it. But I mean, to me, it sounds like extreme cycling. And first of all, what exactly goes into a cyclocross race? Yeah, so cyclocross races, they're uh, they're set up with timed laps. Um, So it'll be an hour, an hour race, and they set up each course. So it's about eight to 12 minutes per lap. And so at the start of each race, you actually have no idea how many laps you're doing. They average the first three laps of the course and then three laps in, you'll get a, you'll get a lap countdown board on it and it's mass start. So it'll be 20, 30, 40, 50, hundred guys all starting at once. We're all on road bikes with, with knobby ish looking tires. And you know, it's eight wide and it's from the get go. It's 100% all the, uh, for the whole hour that you're racing. Okay, so are you basically talking about like gravel bikes? Is that the idea? Am I right about that? Yeah. So, so site like gravel bikes have have morphed from from cyclocross bikes. Cyclocross bikes were sort of the the incarnation of of the gravel bike. The fit of a gravel bike is a little bit different. It has a little more upright seating position. It has hooks and stuff and, and areas that you can mount more bags on your bike that you won't get won't get on a cyclocross bike, but. From like my my race bikes, it was you know two bolts for a bottle cage, but we never raced with a bottle and uh, enough tire clearance for for going through the mud and stuff. But they were pretty bare bones bare bones bikes. But a, a gravel bike is a really good comparison to it. Okay, so companies don't specifically make cyclocross bikes, right? You're basically, you're kind of like modifying your own bike. They do. They nowadays they do make specific cyclocross bikes. A lot of times, what the companies will do is they'll have their their road bike. And then they'll have a, a modified version of the road bike with a little more tire clearance, a little little higher bottom bracket to for some of the obstacles on the races and and whatnot to for a bike that's a little more dedicated to to cyclocross racing. That being said, you can make a cyclocross bike look like a road bike, and pretty much nobody's gonna be none the wiser if you don't have a, a keen eye for what you're looking for on a cross bike. Okay, so you've raced with a number of teams. Are you sponsored by a particular bike manufacturer or no? No, so all of all of my sponsorships came through through the teams that we were riding. I did have a few personal sponsors 
of my own, but a lot of times the the teams didn't like you carrying personal sponsors through if they conflicted with some of their their title sponsors. And so mm-hmm. through a lot of it, riders will have, you know, certain sponsorships that they've they've acquired through their years of racing through the through their networks. And then but the major ones like bikes, helmets, shoes, those types of things will always always be through the team. Now, how did you get into this to begin with? It looks like something you would transfer to from mountain biking, but was that was that the case or no? Yeah, so I started riding my bike when I was whatever too. I was an insane little little child running around. Came around, my parents were looking for looking for a way to direct my energy, and they asked if I wanted to race BMX. And at five years old, I had no no concept of what that was. I just said yes to everything. It looked fun and uh, <laughs> raced BMX for a few years. That you know, that grew a little bit. And then I started racing, racing mountain bikes in my kind of like 10, 12, 14 year old days. And then, uh, as it, as it progressed and it was a sport that I was getting better at, I, uh, made the transition into, into road and cyclocross. And from there it was full gun, full steam ahead, trying to, trying to ride my bike and race my bike as much as I could. So how close is a cyclocross race to a mountain bike race? You know, I've raced mountain bike courses that have been easier than cyclocross courses. It really depends on where you're racing, but at least of all the racing that I did in Europe, you got some pretty crazy cyclocross courses that would be in, in some aspects, very comparable to some of the, some of the mountain bike courses you would, you would, well, that we do get in North America. Okay. So that was something I wanted to get to. So this, I mean, from what I understand, this is more of a Canadian uh, conceptualized for sport, but now it's gone worldwide. Where do you find the best competition for cyclocross? Uh, Western Europe, without a doubt. The uh, for whatever reasons, Europe has incredible cyclists to begin with. Yes, they're just their they're their own league of league of things, and you know having having the grassroots programs helps a ton. Uh, you know, honestly, having big races like the Giro d'Italia, Tour de France, that you know, the, the really big popular ones, those help a ton, like by far and none Western Europe, the Netherlands always has a really strong set of cyclists. So does Germany, you know, the UK has, has always consistently had some really fast guys that Western Europe is where all of the, all of the really, the consistently really good guys are, are coming out of, or cyclists, I should say. Okay. And do you see this as a, a sport that can grow? Or is it always going to be sort of a grassroots thing? No, I I think it's a sport that can grow. Like any sport, there there has to be a fan base. At, at some point, it as sports grow, it, it's you know a bunch of people that just really love doing something, and then it turns into a, a community thing. And then it, you know, at some point when when sports get big enough, there has to be the money behind it, and the fans fans play into that a lot. From my time racing in North America, there's not a fan base like there is in Europe. Mm-hmm. Now, from when I first started racing and, and, and started racing nationally and, and also racing down in the States, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't nearly as many fans there. And I did my, I did my first world championships when I was 17 and there was, there was a crowd for sure, but it wasn't the type of crowd that would draw at a world that, that any type of world championship should draw. I would you know, expect it to be 10 times bigger. But then when I was racing over at over in Belgium and it was a kind of their equivalent of a, a national national level race. They have a few different different levels, but this is what what would be considered kind of like a, a regional to national level race. Okay. And it was, you know, 
a square city block and there was 50,000 spectators. It was standing room only. Like the whole place was jam packed. Like it was, a it was insane. And this was just like a, a decent level race, but it wasn't, wasn't anything that was on the, the world championship scale. And so with cycling, at least it, it really, I think as North America becomes a little more open to open to their bike and as people, more and more people get to bikes and as, as cities grow into a, uh, you know, getting their, their bike path networks and, and whatnot. It's, you know, a sport people that, you know, they become, they become open to, they become into, you know, their children's, they know somebody, they have family friends that do it, whatever. And you get, you get a fan base that, you know, slowly grows. And as the, the support grows, you know, you get really fast people coming out of it. Yeah. That, that's something I would say that you've seen a lot of development like on a city level, especially where cities now are converting all the major streets to having bike lanes that a greener form of transportation to and from work, choosing a bike is a significant step in that path. More and more people are getting into cycling to begin with, at least here in Canada, from my experience, and the knowledge around cycling has increased. So as that continues to be the case in Grove, you got to see that cycling in general as a sport should probably continue to grow here as well. Have you seen cycling, not just cyclocross, but just even road road cycling or even like sprint cycling? Do you see the the effects, the growth of that in Canada? So far, I do. And and being Calgary based, we had a we had a national cycling center based out of the Olympic Oval mm-hmm. um, for a number of years. That's since closed down, but that was a really that was a really good program that built a lot of, a lot of good cyclists and, and a community around that. And, you know, with downtown Calgary's instituted all their bike lanes and, and people riding to work. And even with the, you know, the last two years of, of shutdown, people were looking for things to do. And a lot of, a lot of people turned towards riding bikes. And from a recreational standpoint, it's, it's gone absolutely crazy. And this is entirely anecdotal for me, but you know, when I go out and ride, I see, way more people out on bike paths on, you know, Sunday afternoon when I'm coming back from riding or whatever, there's, you know, the crowds are there on, on bikes. And as the, as the recreation increases, the, the support behind it, the fan base behind it, and it just grows like, like anything. And it's funny. It's um, my wife had been looking for something to do, stay in shape. That was a little less impact impactful for quite some time. And just before the pandemic hit she discovered zwift do you know zwift yep i've uh, i've zwifted before okay okay so she actually does it with a uh, a spin bike she uses a spin bike at home for zwifting but i found that since she kind of adopted that as her her exercise now she's got the urge to actually get out in the summer and and bike for real but i think zwift has also and and applications like that contributed to people wanting to bike because it's something you could have done during the pandemic. I know a lot of people who are professional bikers trained with Zwift. Did you do that? Yeah, there was a period of time I was training uh, during the winters on Zwift. Okay. And did, did that contribute to to you improving or, or did you find it just to be an exercise? Both. Um, with, with cycling, like one of the things that I love about riding my bike is there's the the freedom of being able to go places, you know, you, you go for a walk in the evening and you might do a few, few kilometers around the neighborhood. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you go out for a ride, you can easily cover 40, 50, 60, hundred kilometers, whatever. And there's, 
there's the freedom, there's the the versatility of, of the terrain that you go through and just being outdoors. And so it was, it's always tough being stuck inside okay. during the winter's training. And Zwift was a, was a really good bandaid for being stuck inside during the, during the winter months going, you know, hitting your head against the wall, trying to, trying to ride on a trainer. And Zwift, you, you got some social aspect because you can ride with your friends, you can ride with whoever, you can go explore the virtual world and you could upload your workouts to Zwift. And it was like your own little mini coach that told you when to stop, when to go, how hard you're going and everything that you really needed. And so it was a, it was a combination of, of both for me, really it was a, it was a training tool. I found myself getting faster, but it was also, uh, keeping myself sane from just staring at a, at a white wall while riding my bike. Yeah, understandably so. I was just, I was wondering because I mean, I've, I've talked to race car drivers, for instance, and they have access to simulators. And some would say that a simulator is a, a great sort of training tool and learning tool, while others would say there's, it just doesn't do anything for them because it doesn't compare to being behind the wheel. If, if that's the kind of feeling that you get in comparison to being on a application like Zwift or Trainer Road or something like that versus actually being out on the actual bike. Yeah, it's, I'm painfully traditional in that sense. I found when I was training, I got the biggest results from training. You know, I, I saw the, the most, the most increases from just training outside with cycling is kind of a unique sport when you're trying to train inside because the dynamics on a trainer are different than the dynamic dynamics riding outside. And like when you're outside, you can move your bike side to side, your body position can shift a lot more. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're on a trainer, your bike is fixed there and, and you, you can't move your bike as net like at all, or as naturally as you'd be able to on the road. And so for, for me, and I know some of the, uh, some of the athletes that I trained with over the years, we always saw, we saw improvements riding inside and on trainers and stuff, but they were never as big when we were, were stuck inside for however long Okay. versus when we, when we went on a training camp down to somewhere sunny and you'd see the same like two week period or same one month period, you'd, you'd see bigger jumps. And so, and that was, that's purely my experience. I do know other athletes that, you know, exclusively trained on Zwift over the winter and it, it worked really well. I think, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, you use the tool that, that works best for you or the, the tool that you have at your disposal. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. The program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. Okay, so speaking of tools, let's talk about the equipment itself. If somebody wanted to get into, whether it be road racing or cyclocross, what's the investment look like for a beginner that wants to start competing at it? You could get yourself into a really good entry-level road bike for around the $2,000 to $3,000 mark. It is a pretty high initial investment. Yeah. Um, and over the last two years, the price of bikes has gone just insane on the used market and on the, the new market. Mm -hmm. um, but from what I've, what I've seen on the new market right now, you could get yourself a really good entry-level road bike that'll, that'll do the job for you know the two to three thousand dollar mark and you know 
through my days, I had the, the really nice and the crazy, the crazy expensive bikes, but really when it comes down to it, like a really good solid road bike, will we'll get the job done. Okay. So when you say solid, you're talking about the frame, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Saul, you want like a good frame that, that comes off of and, and the fit super important and, and no, no company, even though they have their, um, I'm going to call it standard sizing, <laughs> every bike fits, uh, fits a little different. And then the biggest thing that makes a, a huge difference is making sure that the components on the bike, so the gears, the shifters, all of that type of thing is of at least a minimum, minimum quality. Okay. And that was there there is some advantages to trying to save 50 grams here and, and a little bit there but really at the end of the d- day with like a 19 pound road bike and a decent set of wheels you could you could have a, a successful successful race so if anyone wants to be serious at all you're saying they pretty much have to go into a a specialist shop and really get fit for the bike they want to get yeah absolutely absolutely okay and then you so you said you've you've rode some pretty significantly expensive bikes. How often do you have breakdowns? Not a lot, actually. Um, from racing and road and cross, there was only a few times I crashed myself. Like I crashed myself out, broke my bike, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. the bikes that I was racing, they, they could handle a ton of impact. And there's times I crashed and I fully expected to be walking, walking back. And my bike came out of it a few scratches and, and and survived on the mountain bike side the bikes take a little bit more of a beating and when you're when you're going through some of the some of the tech technical features in mountain biking you may not have a have a bad crash but you hit something that just tweaks your your derailleur a little bit or, or takes out a brake lever or something like that mm-hmm. that you don't really get in road um now cross is kind of a a weird middle ground for that because sometimes you get really fast smooth courses that don't have a lot of technical features and on the flip side you get courses that are almost a mountain bike course and they have features that are that are very comparable and that's where you know if you you could have a a minimal crash but ends up ends up breaking your bike but i've never broken a bike from riding it yeah so generally the the quality of the like the technology and the quality of materials now at a at least a decent level are very reliable at this point absolutely yeah yeah someone buys a a half decent bike they should know that from general use chances are they're not going to have to deal with much yeah and with you know kind of like your car you need to keep up with maintenance on your car and your bike's the same thing and you know with making sure your bike stays clean making sure your chain keeps getting lubed and once a year replacing a couple cables on the bike or or if bike with hydraulic brakes you know flushing the brake fluid you really won't encounter any significant costs and even through you know my time time racing with uh with cross we when we were gone for two months straight racing you know our bikes saw neglect and at the end of the day they still they still came out and they performed when we needed them to perform and that has trickled down into into the more recreational market and to the point where your entry-level road bike really is as long as you keep it clean and keep the chain lubed you should be off to the races Okay. And then if somebody does want to get into racing, is there a, like, is there a sort of tiered system of how you get to the top level or is there open races? Anyone can just enter. How does that happen? Yeah. And so that, that's really regionally based for Canada. There's each province has their own 
governing body. And so in Alberta, we have the Alberta Bicycle Association in Ontario. It's the Ontario Bicycling Association. I think someone will have to double check me on that. It's something. But for Alberta, we have our, our local races. Anybody can sign up for, for your local races. You'll have a few different categories. And so for, for someone that wants to get into racing, go to your local race. There's, there's bike clubs out there and they, they'll support for, for the younger kids. I know if you join, join your bike club, they'll, they'll pay for the race fees for, for younger kids and race fees aren't, aren't terribly expensive in the more local races. And once you get to a point where you're consistently placing, you know, top 15, top 10 in your local races, really good time to start looking at, at national races. And in Canada, we have the Canada cup series and those are predominantly for, for mountain biking. There's a few road races in Canada that have a, have a more national feel to them. And then for cyclocross, they have all of the local races plus cyclocross nationals. And so for me, it was, I just started racing, racing in Alberta, started racing locally. And then I got, went to, went to a couple of nationals, had some decent results. And then from there it was, uh, onto the national team, went to Canada summer games, started racing down in the States. It was, you know, every time you get to the top 15%, I'd say top quarter in whatever region or, or level you're racing at, then it's a really good time to start looking at jumping up to the next level. Okay. And is there considered to be a, like a top level organization that's, that's worldwide or is like, is there a number one governing body for this? Yeah. So the number one governing body is the UCI. It's the union cyclisma international something. They're based out of Switzerland. Um, they're the, the international governing body for all racing at a particular level. And so for cyclocross, at least we had, uh, there was a C2 level race and then it goes up to C1 level race and then it goes up to the, the world cups. And so those are the three main levels for the UCI sanctioned, uh, cyclocross races. Now, if it's not UCI sanctioned that it just has a different sanctioning body, whatever it may be. Okay. Uh, but you, the UCI is, is the international one. And then every country has their own sanctioning body and then it, just gets smaller and smaller as you go to a more specific region. Okay. Okay. So you've been competing at this for how long? I was racing with the national team for about five years on and off. So I was about 18 to 24 was my, was my period that I was racing on the pro circuit. Six years. Yeah. And was that, was that a full-time thing? Part-time thing? It was, I was, so I was going to university full time through that entire period. There's a couple times I took semesters off, but I was training full time through the winters and my, my summers was, was racing the entire summer. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty much full time while going to school during that period. Okay. So is cyclocross mostly a, a seasonal type event or is it just because you were in Canada? It's a C so yeah, so it's a seasonal, it's a seasonal event. And so the, the cyclocross season is about October to February oh. for the World Cups. And so what I ended up doing was uh, cyclocross races in Canada sort of kick off locally, regionally in mid-September. And so I would race my September in and around Canada, October till whenever World Championships rolled around would be chasing World Cups, chasing C1s and C2 races. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have 
a few weeks in the spring that was my off period. And then I would go into racing the road season, which you would usually start in about March. And so I'd race March to March to August road. Okay. So that's a pretty full year. Yeah, it was busy. A lot of plane rides. And does the World Cup move constantly? Yeah. So I don't remember the exact number of World Cups. It changes every year. The States has three World Cups right now. There's okay. one in Iowa, one in Wisconsin, and one in Arkansas. And then they have in Europe, there was all over Western Europe, um, there was there was World Cups. And so one of the one of my favorite World Cups was the Zolder World Cup that was on the actual F1 track. And so you started down the start straight where all the all the cars was and then it it bumped off the track in through the in through the trees and stuff and then went back onto the track it was that's one of my favorite races ever for sure yeah that's gonna be pretty awesome and and from what you're telling me it had a pretty sizable crowd too yeah that one uh if my memory serves correct could be wrong i think the world the world championships when i raced at zolder drew in like a hundred thousand people oh, man. Um, something like that <laughs> but yeah it was it was packed like people were people were parking kilometers out and walking down the walking down the road to to come watch that race. Okay, so cyclocross is not an Olympic event or anything, but does Canada, uh, from a government level, do they support it at all? Um, they recognize it, and there is support from individuals that are passionate and love racing. And so I had my national from when I was on the, the cyclocross national team, the coaches there, the support staff, all incredible. They all volunteered their time though. Wow. There's not the money behind it that some of the other disciplines of cycling got. Yes. Canada's put a lot of, a lot of financial support behind their track team. And there's just, there's just not that type of support behind the cyclocross thing. And so. I think Canada, from the lack of resources that's dedicated towards cyclocross, I think Canada has a has a decent decent program, but that's very much because of, because of particular individuals that just want to see people riding their bike and want to see people that that are trying to ride their bike succeed. Okay, okay, so yeah, it's, it, that sounds to be the case in a lot of different sports, especially fringe sports in Canada, because of even North America in general, just because of what our primary sports are and how much focus is on them. What is it you're doing yeah. now? So now I have, uh, I've retired from cycling. I finished university with an environmental science and geology degree, and I'm working full time in environmental remediation. Oh, okay. Okay. So, I mean, I guess your sport kind of goes hand in hand with what you do when it comes right down to it. And, and where did, yeah. where did you, where did you graduate? Uh, University of Calgary. Okay. Well, congratulations, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think I, I think it was 2021 that I graduated. 2022, 2021, somewhere around there. I was in university for so long that uh, it's all sort of a blur. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you plan on doing anything from the sort of back end now, the administrative side of cyclocross, or are you completely removed from it? I'm still, I'm still riding my bike, and I'm still semi-training to stay fit and stay uh stay comfortable um i have started looking a lot at at trying to support more of the local communities and i've gone on i've gone on group rides with people and i, st I still have connections through you know other riders that i race some of the younger racers that i that i've met through the years and i've kept in touch with certain parents and stuff and that you know when people 
shoot me questions about races they should go to, shouldn't go to, things they're considering, what was my experience, where I think, you know, some of the most valuable, where like, you know, with with the the limited time or money that you have, where where you can make the most impact. And so mm-hmm. being a more on the the back end of it and and looking back at my career and and seeing what I thought went went really well in areas that I think I should have should have taken a different approach to or races that I shouldn't have gone to versus should have it. I've tried to like pass that knowledge along and in with COVID racing stopped I mean, all, all sports stopped and yes. And with cycling, especially it in Alberta, it seemed like everything ground to a halt and, and the races that have come back have been a, been a little less. And so it's been a, it's been a slow return to it. And so I have a, a utopian view that I'll be able to give back to the cycling community in a way that I think is productive and and helpful to to growing it in Alberta and Canada and you know hope hope there's the younger younger generations that that look at it and get to get to where I was or get well beyond where I I finished my career at. Okay, and then to kind of wrap up here, I just want to ask you. So you you competed for 6 years. Now, health and fitness is one of those areas that is constantly evolving. You've got athletes that are sort of setting the bar every single year, resetting it again. How long would you say the typical, say, cyclocross or even road cycling career can be? You could have a successful career for upwards of 10 years. In terms of the toll that cycling takes on your body, it's a fairly low impact sport. And so if you're careful with your training and you avoid burnout, you can have have a really productive career. And there's cyclists out there racing at the world tour level, you know, doing the Tour de France that have had 10 to 15 years of of a really successful career. Now the like the flip side to that is all it takes is one one nasty crash and that's the that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then also you can you can overtrain and just completely wear your wear yourself out. And that's happened before with with individuals. They have periods of time and they you know, it's six, eight, 10 months between their, between races or, or whatever they're changing, they're changing their focus a little bit and they have a, have a big training block and end up training themselves overtraining themselves to the point they're, they're slower that year than they were the, the previous years. And having done it yourself and been on teams, national teams, is cycling more of an individual sport when it comes to training or were you given guidance along the way? I was, so I had a, I had a coach from when I, when I joined the national cycling center in, in Calgary, I had a coach from about 13 years old until I, until I retired. It is very much a social sport. It, it is a sport that relies on, on having individuals around you that, you know, they know more than you and they're, they're there to make sure that you, you succeed. And there are, there are athletes that are successful training by themselves. And I was, I wasn't one of them and, you know, kudos to them. It's, they've got some, they've got some willpower that, that I didn't have. But for me, I found my, my greatest success was when I was training with a group of people. I had a coach that was tailoring training programs specifically to me and specifically to my racing goals. Okay. Okay. No, it makes sense. All right. Oh shit. Great talking to you, Isaac. Yeah, no, it was awesome talking to you. Well, thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, 
and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcast's experience, where no sport is left behind.